0: Uh, here we are on a summer evening, and uh, summer is often a season of travel, right? If you've gone on some good trips this summer. Uh, isn't it interesting that sometimes you go on a trip, and at the end of the trip you think to yourself, I need to come back here. Why do you, why do you think that? You've already been there, you know, and, but we do this. I need to, I need to go back there. Uh, have you heard of Rehoboth in New Mexico? Uh, so... Uh, uh, my church's youth group, Lombard CRC, just this past week, for the first time, went on a serve trip uh, to Rehoboth, New Mexico. Now, I'm not a youth leader at the uh, church, but of course I know many of them, and I was not slated to go on this trip. Uh, but at the last minute, they found out they were going to have to lead a VBS, and I said, oh, I can teach the Bible, and so I weaseled my way into the trip. Uh, and let me tell you, it was a wonderful trip, I think most Students and adults, at the end of that trip, thought, we need to come back. We need to come back. Uh, In the Midwest here, uh, have any of you been to Sleeping Bear Dunes? Uh, Northern Michigan there, along uh, Lake Michigan. Uh, I went once, and it was kind of a drive-through, and I thought to myself, I need to go back. And uh, I am. Next week, with my son, we're going to go on a camping trip, and I need to go back to Sleeping Bear Dunes and I'm also going to see the biggest pine trees in Michigan. Hartwick State Park, a biology professor at the uh, Van Kampen wedding, told me about this, and I made plans to see the big big trees in Michigan. Anyway, uh, now what is what is my point on y- you go to a place and you're like, I have to go back? Well, that's what this message is tonight. For most of you in this room, it is going to be We've got to go back there. However, you get it. It describes God's love so well. And not only describes, we experience God's love so richly that we need to go back. And that is, of course, the holy gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to frame this message with the idea of holiness, And so the theme of the message is, be holy. Leviticus 11, God says to his people through Moses, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. And then Jesus followed this up with the Sermon on the Mount. He said some words that are a little rough for us to hear. Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So I'd like to think about the gospel in terms of holiness. And there is, there are so many beautiful Christian songs that tie into this as well. I thought, let's make this sermon from God's word in word and song. So for each point, there will be a song as well. Uh, the first uh, point will remain seated, and I'll announce the, se- the second point will stand for the song. The third one will remain seated for the song. Uh, but this is how we are going to journey through this this message and reflection on the Holy Gospel this evening. Uh, so first, the God of Holiness, the God of Holiness. Imagine, imagine if you were the prophet Isaiah, and one day you're at Prayer. And then all of a sudden, you're not sure if you've fallen asleep or if you're awake, but time seems to stand still. And you experience God's presence like never before. It is a presence that bears down upon you and makes you feel weak and unworthy. And at the same time, it is a presence that says, I accept you as well. This is what Isaiah experienced. Isaiah chapter 6, now read verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. One of my favorite hymns takes a cue from this passage, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Both merciful and overwhelmingly mighty. This God is a blessed Trinity. Verse 2 of this hymn specifically refers to Isaiah 6. Casting down their golden crowns around the glass, you see cherubim and and seraphim. Isaiah 6. And then we're going to skip to verse 4. Not only are the heavenly beings worshiping a holy God, crying out, holy, holy, holy. But verse 4, all thy work shall praise thy name. As we sing these words, uh, in the text here, uh, when Isaiah heard them, he fell to the ground. Now, we're not going to fall to the ground. uh, But the reason why I want you to remain seated for this is to have in your hearts a posture of, of kneeling, of reverence, of awe as we declare God's holiness. Let's sing together. This passage is introduced with in the year that King Uzziah died. This king reigned for over 50 years. During his rule, Israel was a prosperous and strong nation. In addition, Uzziah was a godly king. But near the end of his reign, the Bible says his heart grew proud, and one day he walked into the temple to light incense in the temple. Now, this act was reserved only for the priests. And the priests had a special role, as you know, in God's temple. They were the intermediaries, the go-betweens, between a holy God and an unholy people. And so the priests were to offer the sacrifices to offer the incense. And here is the king who essentially said, I am the king, I can do whatever I want, and I will do the incense. And so the king does this, and he is confronted by godly priests who seek to stop him. He rejects their uh, plea to stop, offers the incense, and what does he do? He disrespects the holiness of Almighty God. The Bible says that leprosy, a communicable skin disease, breaks out on his forehead. He is covered with shame. He is quickly ushered out of the temple and lives in a separate house for the rest of his life. Why? Because he disrespected God's holiness. And now here we have, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah entering the temple, no, the real temple, the throne room of God. Uzziah was in a symbol, kind of a a metaphor of heaven. But here is Isaiah in heaven, and he sees seraphim, powerful, angelic beings, superheroes are nothing, powerful, angelic beings. And they cover their eyes and their feet, humbly before Almighty God, and as they speak, they proclaim God's holiness. The place shakes. It is filled with smoke. This isn't mere special effects. This is Isaiah in the presence of God. And Isaiah kind of gets it that he is Uzziah. Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I do not deserve to be in the holiness of God. God, holy, holy, holy. And as you know, we live in a culture where increasingly people do one of two things. They either reject God or they redefine God according to what fits them their experience, their feelings, or just their own reasoning. We all, in this room, respect gravity, correct? If we did not, we would be dead. Who cares what you think about gravity? Gravity's true, and it's going to affect your life. How much more? How much more with Almighty God? And who are we to redefine who God is? We must receive God's revelation of who he is, and he reveals himself as holy, holy, holy. So holy, it is beyond our comprehension. It is absolute moral perfection. A separateness, complete separateness of anything that is unholy. As I look at Isaiah 6, I realize that I am Uzziah. You are Uzziah. We enter God's presence. We understand who God is. And yet, in our pride, we live our lives. All of us in this room, We have some good things about our lives and some problems in our lives as well. But as we come to Isaiah 6, we need to remember our biggest problem in life, our biggest problem is simply unholiness. It is our sin. So God is holy. If you think about why we have the Bible why the Old Testament and the nation of Israel? Why Jesus? It's it's all. Why? It's because of unholiness. It is because of sin. Now, if the message ended here, it might be slightly educational and majorly depressing. But fortunately, there is more to God's message to us. It is the way to holiness, it is the gospel. And as uh, the next uh, group prepares uh, for a song, uh, how do we become accepted? How do we become accepted? Well, the world's way is, is simply this. You are accepted based on your ability. On your ability to develop a certain type of reputation. I mean, when I was in high school, I tried to be a funny guy. And as I look back on it, I mean, it's, it's fine to be funny sometimes you're not funny and you try but you know it's, it's it's fine but then how much do you try to base your acceptance on on your personality you know or your acceptance on your social standing or your wealth are things you can control and oftentimes people realize they can't achieve this acceptance and they despair well what does god's word say about this the way to holiness I'd like to read just uh, two verses from Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were unholy, Christ died for us. And then verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is God's grace, it is not our effort for holiness. I thought of the song in Christ alone. In our desperate situation, how do we become accepted? And holy again, it is in Christ alone. And as we sing this, the line, the gift of love and righteousness, holiness, as Jesus died, for every sin on him was laid. Sin's curse, the curse of unholiness, has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, in Christ alone. There is one line that says, here in the love of Christ I stand. So I think we should stand as we worship and sing together about the gospel. someday in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to have this worship team and Donna and Jan uh, leading us in worship. <laughs> it's wonderful, wonderful. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, yeah? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I'm not involved in any bad stuff. But when I compare my life to the holiness of God, it's not there at all. And here we we read God's word and we sing the song of God's grace, that God has given a gift of love and righteousness, and it is undeserved. We do not deserve it. And yet he gives it anyway. This past week, uh, part of my role in the Bible camp that I led was to pick up children and then bring them home after our camp. Uh, this was outside of my comfort zone, as you'll see why. I have no problem driving kids in a van. That's fine. Uh, now, these children came from very a very desperate condition, Uh poverty, and uh, looking at their teeth, you could see that their parents had given them pop, soft drinks as, as babies, because they had metal caps or were missing baby teeth, uh, because they had such just bad care and, and nutrition. Uh, they'd have chips for breakfast, so when they came to the Bible camp, the first thing we would do is at least give them a granola bar, something, you know, somewhat healthy, uh, this made for the fact uh, that um, just very needy and, and could be manipulative, uh, very difficult. Well, on the last day of camp, I was driving them home. And looking back on this foolishly, I was the only one in the van. I should have had someone else, support team. Uh, so I'm driving them, and uh, one of them turned the radio on, And like the station came on, it was bad. I mean, it's like all of a sudden there's this bad word that, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I turn it off, okay? And uh, then they were all upset. Turn on the music, turn on the music. I'm like, oh, guys, didn't we have a fun week? Yay, yay. No, let's not turn on the music. And then they started like verbally saying mean, you know, you're a bully. We don't like you. You're boring. As soon as they said that, I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, fine. You can call me boring. I have no problem with that. But I'm a nice guy, and I was nice to you. Come on. Uh, and then they started screaming, like they wanted to get me mad. Seriously, at the top of their lungs in the van, ah, they're screaming. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give into this. So when they were done, I said, Come on, guys! One, two, three. You know, they're screaming. Well, pretty soon, they're like, we're not getting to this guy. So then, uh, one of the girls, who was kind of the ringleader, meaning she could have stopped it if she, if she, want, if she said to stop, they would have. She moves up to the, the front van seat there, puts her head right behind my ear, and just screams right in my ear, okay, this is, this is not good, okay, so I'm driving, she just screams in my ear, and honestly... I was praying that God would help me hold it together. Because this, you know, this van ride. And then we got there, and they're fiddling in the back. I run to the back. Then they crank the music. Then I run. Oh, my. It was, whoo. And uh, I I just kept thinking about this girl. So I I drove through the neighborhood, uh, dropping kids off. Fortunately, the girl riding shotgun, she was like my little person, and she told me when to stop the van, and this was very good. And her name was Aspen. Aspen Trees. I mean, that's good. So anyway, we we're driving, and the girl, the screaming girl, she was the last to be dropped off. And I thought, you know what? Given this van ride, she deserves nothing. I should just say, get out of here. That's. I mean, that's what she deserved. And uh, we, we pull up, and I gulped hard, and I said, Alexis, thanks for coming to camp this week. I am so glad you did. I'm so glad that I could meet you and be with you. And I smiled at her as she got out of the van and walked uh, to her home. And uh, simply what I was doing there was seeking to reflect a quality of God, and that quality is grace undeserved favor. How much more? How much more do we need God's grace in our own lives? And God says, I love so much, I've given my son Jesus, and Jesus died for us. Why did Jesus die? You could Give a lot of reasons for why Jesus died, but I want to give you this reason. Simply, Jesus died on the cross so that our sins may be forgiven. Forgiven sins means unholiness becomes holy. We as unholy people can become holy through Jesus' work on the cross. As I share this with you, uh, before I move on to the next point, I just want to ask you, uh, are you ready? Are you able? And do you feel confident in articulating this way to holiness to someone else? If someone else asked you to give the reason for the hope that is in your life, do you feel confident and able to speak clearly and accurately this good news of Jesus Christ. I I ask my students about this as well. Are they able to articulate this very important message of hope and good news that leads to holiness? And third, becoming holy. Becoming holy by grace through faith. What must we do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? Here are some of my students' thoughts on why they should go to heaven, have eternal life. Now, I'm going to read these, and I'm not going to rank them. Some of them are better than others. Two of them are actually not good. Okay? I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior with every cell in my body. I believe in God and want to learn more about him and follow him. Your grace has saved me, and and I believe in you. I believe in you. You forgave me for my sins so I could have this chance in heaven. I don't deserve it, but your son died so I can I don't know what I would say because there can be no excuses. Hmm. I have been trying to live by Him and grow closer to please Him. I don't want to go to hell because I feel I have done good by God and I love Him very much. What does the Bible say? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. As we sing together, O sacred head, now wounded, I would encourage you to focus on God's grace on your life in light of your sin, O sacred head now wounded. And uh, we will uh, stay in an attitude of prayer, so stay seated in a posture of prayer as uh, we sing this song of God's uh, overwhelming grace and love for our lives. like the song because it so beautifully, with lyric and and melody, communicates God's love for us through Jesus Christ, and it also communicates a response to that grace, love uh, to thee. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for you have been saved. What have we been saved from? We have been saved from judgment because of our holy, our unholiness. And how are we saved? By God's grace. And you know, it is, it is all God. Notice in this passage here, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And Paul needs to clarify this to make sure you get it. Okay, grace means unmerited favor, but but Paul wants to emphasize it more. So, So he says, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. And then one more time, Paul needs to rephrase it to clarify it more. And so then it goes on to say, almost, did you get it? Not by works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by grace through faith. And our faith, we can call it our faith, yes. But God Almighty is even sovereignly working through our faith to make us alive in Jesus Christ. Earlier on, it says we are dead in our transgressions. This is the work of God. And there is simply a humble acknowledgement that our most important problem is our our unholiness. And the greatest gift we could ever receive is acceptance by God. And we receive this acceptance. We are declared holy not because we are holy, because none of us can do that. It is a gift. It is through Jesus Christ, our sin laid upon him, the substitute sacrifice. And so the Bible says, by faith, by faith. The problem here is, how is your faith? Is it strong enough? Is it genuine? Sometimes people question themselves. It's very easy to look at someone else and go, oh, look at their faith. My faith isn't even close. Wait a minute. Is my faith enough? Is it genuine when I look at someone else and I see this? And sometimes, sometimes I can doubt as well. We can struggle with this as humans. And then if we doubt, is our faith real? Well, what does, what does the Bible say about this? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Simply put. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith. I've heard those words somewhere before. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Maybe your faith doesn't seem as strong as someone else's, but if you can declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior, this declaration is simply a verbal outward indication of an inward reality. The Bible also says, and the apostles often said this in the book of Acts, repent And believe, repent and believe, confess your sin, and trust in Jesus. So if I have a student that is struggling with faith, and I see with that student that there is an acknowledgement in their heart, yes, this is wrong, and I need to confess this to God, this is an indication that God's Spirit is working in them. And that there is faith. Now, if somebody says, oh yeah, I believe, and they could care less about sin, that's the person I would be more concerned about. And so how do we know if this faith is genuine? If we repent of our sin, I didn't say if we're perfect, but if we acknowledge sin, and we are also able to say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, that is an indication that that faith you have is a genuine faith. Lastly, what is our response to this becoming holy? Now, this response, of course, can be a year's worth of sermons. I am simply going to say this. If you truly get God's holiness and our sin, if you truly get the power and the love of Jesus' sacrifice poured out upon us, the Bible says God's grace is lavish, in excess, goes above and beyond. If you truly get that, then this week, with all your heart, You just want to, out of gratitude, repent of your sin, being honest for your sin, and seek to live a holy life. I want to tell you that God has has put within me, oh, a desire, a desire to be holy. And I know I can't do it on my own. I, I need God's grace at work within me. But I will tell you, I think, in this world in which we live, What does it mean to live a holy life in this world? I am not advocating to move to a cabin in Montana. I mean, if you're doing it, that's fine. But it is to live in this world, holy, holy for God. And that holiness comes down to a click of a mouse, to a swipe of a screen, to one word coming out of your mouth, to thoughts that you dwell on? How is unholiness being accepted in your life? And how is God calling you to repent of sin and be thankful for this grace by living a holy
1: life before a holy God?